Welcome to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. You're listening to the Essential RX segment hosted by Dr. Lemaitre Scott. The Sickle Cell Community Consortium powers the Vitamin SC3 podcast. Please remember that the information you hear on the Vitamin SC3 podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. The information shared is not to be used as medical advice or consultations with healthcare professionals. Stay tuned to hear the full episode. To become a member of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, visit sicklecellconsortium.org. The Sickle Cell Consortium is a collaborative designed a little bit like the United Nations in theory so that we can bring together many organizations for sickle cell throughout the country and now throughout the world, as well as um, independent patient caregiver leaders, opinion leaders, advocates, those that are active in this space. And our goal is, what we've always done, is to bring our community together so that we can create projects, priorities, initiatives. We can figure out what are the problems, needs, and gaps in the sickle cell community, and then figure out how we're going to collectively address this. Good afternoon, everybody, or maybe night or morning, depending upon the time of day you day it's in, where you are, where you're tuning in from. But I want to invite you to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. And today we have a very, very, very intriguing and exciting conversation that we're going to take on um, head first today. So in sickle cell disease, we all know that it's characterized by chronic pain and inflammation. And oftentimes the only things that are available to treat that pain are opioid pain medications. And we also know that the use of opioids, while it is necessary, sometimes it can also lead to conditions where you have issues of overdose and even abuse in certain situations. So today I want to talk to you all while we are discussing the science of sickle cell disease. I want to talk about the role of how cannabis is playing a a significant role partner in the treatment of pain and chronic inflammation in sickle cell disease. And today I have none other than Dr. Swati Varanasi here to mm-hmm. join us. And she will give us a little bit of a more in-depth explanation of cannabis and why she's so adamant about explaining and teaching to us why this medication can actually help in sickle cell disease. Dr. Varanasi, I'll give it to you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Where would you like to get started? Well, I would like to start first. So the at where we are in the beginning, how does cannabis help provide pain relief? I know that people use it oftentimes, but is this a myth or is there really a scientific rationale behind when we see people advocating for the use of cannabis in cannabis products? How does that help provide pain relief? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of my favorite topics, the endocannabinoid system. So a system that, you know, we're both pharmacists, we went through all the schooling and something that's not covered in healthcare professional curricula at all, um, let alone like in 
um, the mainstream media. And so the endocannabinoid system is a vast system of receptors throughout the body. And different from other systems, you know, that might be concentrated in certain organ systems, um, this one is really widespread. And so it's found in almost every single organ. And so that's why it's integral to so many of the processes of these various organ systems. So it's, it's really incredible how much the endocannabinoid system can influence other systems. I think that's first, like one of the, the ground layers that I, I, I want to place. Um, and then with the endocannabinoid system, the overall goal is to promote homeostasis. And so homeostasis, to those who don't know, is just saying the balance in the body. And so much of balance has to do with inflammation. And so at the end of the day, the endocannabinoid system really does an amazing job at regulating inflammation and decreasing inflammation if your endocannabinoid tone is at the right level. And so endocannabinoid tone is whether or not your endocannabinoid system is functioning optimally. And so we want high endocannabinoid tone, meaning that it's functioning well, our inflammation is low, and this is inflammation all throughout the body. So this could be, you know, psoriasis on your arm, or it could be in, now that a lot of the mood disorders are being thought of as well as inflammation. Um, and so that could also be mood disorders, that could be cardiovascular disease as a different form of inflammation, and of course, pertinent to pain in sickle cell disease as well. So as the overarching goal really is to decrease inflammation and promote homeostasis or balance in the body, to me, it makes sense from just an objective level that the endocannabinoid system would play a role in pain management. And there still is so many incredible ongoing studies and a surprising number of actual published studies that support this. And so this is another like one of the myths I love to debunk that some people say within like the healthcare professional sphere that, you know, there is no research and there is research. It's just not as um, many RCTs or randomized controlled studies as we are used to. Um, and a lot of it is happening, of course, post-market. So something more similar to like a supplement where you're allowed to put it on the market and then the studies are being done versus with a lot of the prescriptions, you have to go through a series of clinical trials in healthy populations, then clinical populations and everything before it hits the market. So it's just a different standpoint on how we're viewing it. And of course, now that the that it's being destigmatized over time and people are seeing that there could be potential value to cannabis and other herbs too. Like cannabis is just one of the many, many incredible herbs that can be used for something like this. Okay. So when you started talking, you said you were talking about our endocannabinoid system. So that yes. means our body innately already has this system with these receptors on it. So that means that our body already produces hormones, neurotransmitters, which are the chemical signals that the body produces. So the body already naturally produces these things that will interact with the endocannabinoid system. So in yeah. that respect, when people say that, you know, using cannabis and cannabis derived products that we're already, we're using something that's natural. So we're using things that our body naturally recognizes anyway. So therefore it's not so much of a stretch to say that we're using synthetic type products when this is really something that is already naturally occurring anyway. Is that yes. correct? Or valid? 
statement to make? Yeah, yeah. Overall, that's a valid statement to make. And I think also another great way of of opening up the conversation to healthcare professionals, people who are very accustomed to talking about science and people are interested in science is, you know, we have also endocannabinoids that our body makes on demand. And so one of them is anandamide. And so that one's like the most famous, it's getting all the attention. And then there's also one called 2AG. And so those endocannabinoids are already made in the body and they interact with the endocannabinoid receptors as well as some other receptors in the body like TRPV1, for example, which is very important in pain management. And so... Anandamide, 2-AG, both very important in the body and they're endocannabinoids. Endo meaning that we produce them in the body. And sometimes when I'm initially talking about cannabis, I'm initially talking about the endocannabinoid system. It's really nice to make an analogy with like anandamide and THC and 2-AG and CBD because um, you mentioned the term synthetic. And yes, sometimes the CBD and THC that people are consuming is synthetic. That is true. However, um, if you are consuming the flower or if you're consuming consuming something that is cannabis derived as in plant derived, then it would be something that actually wouldn't be synthetic. It would just be what I would refer to as a phytocannabinoid or a cannabinoid that is derived from the plant rather than an endocannabinoid that we make in the body. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good to differentiate between Mm -hmm. the two phytocannabinoids versus endocannabinoids. Mm -hmm. That's a good differentiation. So you just alluded to um, comparing or making a a comparison between anandamide, THC, and 2-AG to CBD. So now we are talking about two different variations of cannabinoid products. So let's start there or let's go there i guess and let's talk about what makes marijuana different from cbd different from thc different from hemp and i know sometimes people like to use these terms interchangeably but they are not the same can you Mm -hmm. walk us through that to help us understand what it is that people are really talking about absolutely and so um we can just start off with the term cannabis so cannabis in and of itself is the plant. And so that is a very overarching kind of like vague term on purpose um, for that can be used very much interchangeably with a lot of different terms. Um, But then if we go to marijuana versus hemp, um, there is the 2018 farm bill. And so that's the agriculture bill really is what it is, but it's called the farm bill. And so this farm bill made it so hemp derived products can be legal. And so technically they are federally legal. And so what that means hemp derived is a lot of the CBD products that you see, not a lot, rather all of the ones you see on the shelf legally have to be hemp derived. And so what hemp derived means is that they can only have a certain percentage of up to 0.3% THC in the entirety of the product weight. And so, I mean, out of 100%, that's a very, very small percentage. Um, Very intriguingly, just a side note, um, if you look into why it's 0.3%, it was arbitrarily decided. So if you're wondering why 0.3%, I also don't know, nor did the people who decided. Um, But either way, um, 
with um with the hemp derived those are all the cbd products that you can find they're all hemp derived and that also means that they have a maximum of 0.3 percent thc so then breaking it down you know they're hemp derived um that's the maximum they can have you'll also see on the market within the cbd product scope there are a, a number of different terms so there's isolate there's broad spectrum and there's full spectrum CBD. And so these are all different quote unquote forms of CBD or types of CBD you can purchase. CBD isolate is simply just CBD. So it's that isolated compound. So CBD is cannabidiol, just one compound in the full plant. And so if we're thinking of, you know, like the cannabis plant as like a pair of jeans, it's just like one of the buckles or something. It's just like one of the compounds um, in the plant. And so the CBD isolate products only have CBD in them and that's it. And then the broad spectrum have CBD as well as all the other incredible compounds that we probably won't have a chance to talk about today. Um, and so it, everything from terpenes to minor cannabinoids, other, um, other, phytocannab other phytocannabinoids that are in there, polyphenols, other things that also have therapeutic value, but no THC. So broad spectrum is, even though you're allowed, you know, with hemp derived up to 0.3%, broad spectrum have 0% or they should anyway. Um, and then the full spectrum has everything I just mentioned plus the 0.3% THC. So even within the CBD realm, if you see CBD products, there are different variations. Those are the most common that you will likely see, especially at you know, any like drugstore, for example, that is selling, they will likely have those distinctions. Um, and especially like in a lot of states, like that maybe where THC is not federally legal, they might not have even the full spectrum that only has the 0.3%, but still they do not allow that on the shelf. So just something to keep in mind. And then as I mentioned, CBD as one compound in the plant, THC is also mm -hmm. another compound in the plant. Like if you look up on Google um, what the compounds look like, they look different chemically. They're just different compounds in the plant. And so of course, they function differently, just as if we were to take a prescription medication that was just one compound versus another compound. Um, but they do both interact with the endocannabinoid system. So that's the difference there. And I use the analogy with anandamide and THC because they both have a very high affinity. So the affinity meaning they really, really are interested in and like the CB1 receptor. So that's one of the two receptors that we know the most about. We know about CB1 and CB2. And CB CB1 is the one that's thought of as like, you know, the one that can give you the feelings of euphoria or make you feel high um, because that is really attributed to the CB1 receptor activity. And then you might be wondering, oh, so anandamide in the body, if that interacts with CB1, am I going to be feeling high just from my own endocannabinoids? And the answer is yes. Um, also one of my favorite myths ever. Um, and this is a whole nother topic too called cannabimimetics. So it's a lot of other things that are not the cannabis at all, but influence the endocannabinoid system and the way that it works. And um, one of my favorite examples is exercise. And so exercise releases endocannabinoids, which downstream, if you look at the cascade, also, yes, it does release endorphins, which endorphins got super popular in like the 80s. Um, but 
they just bypass the initial step, which is actually the endocannabinoids, which then influence the endorphins. So that is why you feel so incredible after working out a lot of the time, because you're releasing those endocannabinoids and the um, anandamide in particular. And so um, you just feel great after working out. So I, I hope that that's that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, so that really explained when when we hear the term people say runners high, and you would yes, think exactly. that after you started running, you would not feel any sense of euphoria. But yeah. because of that natural and innate ability for the body to secrete these excitatory hormones out, this is actually activating that CB1 receptor then creating that runner's high. So for everybody that's out there listening, make sure you get your exercise in, you know, to get your feel good dose for the day (laughs) and your body will make it. So I do like that you went into explaining the differences between um, isolate, broad spectrum, full spectrum, because as you said on the market, almost every store around and even if it's not a store, it's a pop up shop everybody is selling some type of CBD slash THC type product. And then you go in and you look at the shelf and it's a multitude of things. And it's kind of like, where do you start? Why do they have so many formulations? So Mm -hmm. with that being said, and we talk about what CB1 and CB2 receptors are. Well, you necessarily don't really want to go around with this runner's high all the time, especially when you're dealing with your chronic pain. You just want your pain to go away and you still want to be able to function. So mm-hmm. it seems like, at least from what I've seen in research, there does need to be a little bit of CBD with the THC in order to get, the, especially when you're talking about severe pain. And I know mm-hmm. that there are various levels to pain, but when we're talking about severe pain, like the pain that people with sickle cell disease oftentimes go through, then that requirement for having that legal amount of of the 0.3% THC, that part is really necessary to get that combination of pain relief that we're looking for. So you're looking for the pain itself to go away, but you also need to have that central nervous system effect as well. And that's where the CB1 receptor is located. It's located inside the brain. And that's the purpose of having that little bit of THC in the product. And it's not so much overwhelming where it prevents you from being able to function and doing your daily activities. So what Dr. Varanasi has also stated in her conversation is that these are all products that are legally on the market. These are not products that you would purchase from, um, for lack of better terms, illegally. So this is mm-hmm. not something that you would purchase from a person who you know has marijuana or hemp products that they right. grow at home for their own personal use. I emphasize the word personal. If they're growing it for themselves, it is for their personal use. So that is not something that you would want to partake in. If you think that cannabis or cannabis type products are of benefit or could be of benefit to you, I suggest that you talk with your pharmacist because they would be able to help you or talk to your provider um, that may be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about how you can go about obtaining 
legal products and to find products that are, you know, more suited for your needs. And um, if you're listening to this podcast, I work very closely with the consortium and I'd be happy to share information with you on the various types of cannabis products and what makes them, you know, good or what would be better suited for your needs. So I do like that you broke that down to our listening audience to explain to them, you know, the different types of cannabis products and, and why um, they should or could be used. So now we want to talk about add something too. I'd love to add something too to what you said. So sure. um, you're mentioning the benefit of having just a little bit of CB, uh, sorry, of THC in the product. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to speak to, so that's actually referred to as the entourage effect within the cannabis world uh, or the really the medical cannabis world, um, because um, that speaks to just the entourage or the ensemble effect is now what it's being referred to, um, because it really speaks to all the different compounds within the plant ab being able to synergize and work together for the patient rather than isolating certain aspects of it or if you're looking at um, something else, maybe removing the THC and only looking at the isolate. So um, definitely, I, I see so much pro in, in, what, in what you said, like so much benefit of incorporating a little bit of everything, like all, all the good stuff all together, um, I think is really important. The other thing I wanted to mention based off what you said is I think it's really important that you're having this conversation and you're bringing these topics and ideas and, and potential options to people people. Um, but I did want to say, though, that a lot of healthcare professionals and pharmacists included really don't know anything about this. So I would my suggestion would be for any listener who's interested to come to you, who you can then direct them to a specialist or they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, I know some phenomenal specialists and specialists by that I mean that do cannabis medicine in particular, um, that are pharmacists and physicians who've taken it upon themselves to learn this and really become experts and do one-on-one -on -one patient care. Um, and I wish and I really hope in five to 10 years that we can just say like, go to your healthcare provider and like every everyone will know. It's just, we're just not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do like that you bring that up. Um, and in terms of, well, first let's, let's start here. Sickle cell disease is not something that all healthcare providers are even knowledgeable about. Very so true. now when we start talking about a, a way of managing pain, that's not very well versed and understood by all healthcare professionals, that complicates the pictures a little bit more. What I don't want people to do is not tell your healthcare provider that you are on the route or thinking about using cannabis types products. Because guess what? If you don't tell your healthcare provider, then that could potentially create a situation where you've got drug interactions or it could cause a situation that may not be beneficial because of your other health conditions that you may have mm -hmm. that may actually be made worse by the use of cannabis products. So first and foremost, do not make decisions independently about whether or not you're going to choose to incorporate cannabis type products into your health journey. But when you do decide to, to go down that path, just make sure you're speaking with a person who is knowledgeable and also loop in your healthcare professional about what it is that you are doing so that they know how to best advise you 
in the course of your therapy. I think that's, is that, you think that's a good way to put it? Absolutely. And something that I always say is that the most dangerous supplement is the one that you don't tell your healthcare provider about. Um, So that just speaks to exactly what you said. I think it's so important that they are looped in. Whether or not they're the specialist is totally fine, but everyone in your healthcare journey should know. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so everybody get all that. Whatever you do, make sure you tell somebody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now that we've walked down this journey of understanding, you know, our body has an innate endocannabinoid system that's available. We do know that the endocannabinoid system helps to modulate pain and how pain is perceived in the body. In addition to pain, though, we know that we have these receptors throughout our body that can also influence our mood. They can influence things like fatigue. Um, They can actually influence your appetite as well. Mm -hmm. So in the sickle cell community, the cannabinoid type products, they actually offer a multi-pronged approach to how they could be beneficial during the journey. So while we are speaking on the things that are beneficial in more than one way, of other than just treating pain, um, we don't want this to be seen as, you know, again, don't just go out and try to find the nearest, dearest cannabis product because mm-hmm. that it does need to be discussed with your healthcare provider. So now let's get to the conversation of how would one consume these products? And the title of our talk is Puff Puff or Pass. And we have that title simply because so many people that we know of think of smoking marijuana is the first thing that comes to mind. But there are so many different ways in which cannabis products can be consumed. So let's start there and let's talk about all of the different ways in which one can consume a cannabis product. And let's weigh the pros and cons based on those different modalities. Yes, absolutely. So um, when I was looking into the research and preparation for this, I was very curious to know what has been studied. And a lot of the time in cannabis research, they just say cannabis or marijuana, but they don't specify like the ratio of compounds in them or or anything. Um, But a lot of them did say specifically that they had to do with smoking. And I think that is specific. That's really like speaks to your point that a lot of people refer to and think of smoking marijuana as the the first and foremost way of consuming it. I think that there are more, okay, so there, there are pros and cons, of course, as you mentioned. So the main pro, in my opinion, of smoking marijuana for something like sickle cell is the immediate relief. And so I think for breakthrough pain, that is something that I would recommend in in um, combination with other formulations. So it's not something that you are relying on day in, day out. It's maybe not even something that you're consuming daily, but if you have that breakthrough pain, it is something that you're gonna get an onset of minutes, sometimes even like people say seconds. Um, So I really like it for that. And so using it sparingly, of course, like it's all benefit versus risk. And if the patient's quality of life is going to improve from one or two puffs, in my opinion, that's a great trade-off for, you know, pros and cons and risk and benefits. So 
That's what I would say about smoking. But my favorite way for many reasons to um, ingest um, cannabis on a medical level really is through tinctures. And so tincture is a very like fancy term and it's actually a misnomer in the cannabis industry. Technically, tincture means that it's alcohol based and most tinctures you'll see on the market in the cannabis world are not alcohol based. They're oil based. And so they might be hemp oil based, which again, has little to no THC at all. Um, and then a lot of them are like MCT oil based, which that is derived from coconut. Some are olive oil based, sesame oil based. Um, so they're oil based um, is really the most important part of that. And so I wouldn't worry about like if someone is trying to avoid alcohol or someone does not consume alcohol for whatever reason, then if you, even if you see the term tincture, even though Historically, tincture has been used with alcohol. These do not. They are oil-based. Um, and what I really like about them is that you can titrate. And so titrate meaning you can increase the dose as needed. And I really find that it gives this sense of empowerment to patients to take as much as they feel like they need at that moment. And so a lot of these tinctures, they'll come with like what's called a graduated pipette. And so the pipette will have, you know, 0.25 mils, half mil, 0.75 mil, and one mil would be the full dropper. And so you're able to start at a very, very low amount and see if and how that is making you feel. And then in a few days, you can decide to increase the dose. Um, I also really like tinctures because it's a systemic effect, meaning that if you're ingesting it, it's going to impact your body from the inside out. And so I really like that aspect. And so especially something with inflammation, inflammation being widespread throughout the body, especially with chronic inflammatory conditions, I think something like a tincture is incredible. And then having something like, you know, whether it's a vape pen or something for breakthrough pain um, with smoking, I think can be really beneficial for something like this. I would also recommend that to someone with, you know, MS breakthrough pain or different conditions as well that have that breakthrough versus chronic. Um, and so um, I think that that combination, I, I think is amazing. I also um, have recommended, and I know people um, in the, whether it's sickle cell community, MS community, that um, really benefit from edibles. And so they'll take like a very small amount of an edible that will last them the entire day. Many a time, these edibles are very CBD heavy. So CBD dominant is better word way to say to say that. So again, they might have an element of a little of THC, really depending on what product you're buying, which is why it's so important that the consumers know what they're buying because cannabis, as I said before, is just a vague term that people throw around. And it's like the scientific term to discuss the plant, but there's so many different variations within that, which we talked a little bit about. All right, that's good that you talked about smoking. We talked about vape pens. We talked about edibles. So before we go on to um, any other formulations, I do want people to understand when we talk about smoking cannabis products or smoking anything for that matter, keep in mind the issues that come to play when we talk about sickle cell disease. Decreases in oxygen, meaning anything that decreases your oxygen is what begins the sickling process to occur. That means your sickle, your, your cells begin to turn into that sickle-shaped form. And it, this 
smoking process also causes the blood vessels to constrict. So this also will impede blood flow. If you're impeding blood flow, then you're also making a situation where it's easy for your blood cells to back up and that traffic jam to start to occur in your blood vessels. This could potentially precipitate a sickle cell pain episode. So please keep that in mind if you think that you want to use a cannabis product and you want to smoke and you want that immediate relief. Yes, you will get that immediate euphoric high, as they say. Um, If you're smoking a product that contains THC, yes, that will happen. But also just be prepared for, you know, the, the sequelae that you probably didn't want to happen that may show up an hour later. So just keep that in mind when it comes down to choosing which formulation, vaping the same way. While you may not get the the same amount of systemic effect when it comes down to decreases in the oxygen and the amount of carbon monoxide that's released into your bloodstream, please be forewarned that these types of formulations can potentially make a bad situation worse. So the beauty though is there are different formulations of cannabis type products available, just like your tinctures, just just like your edibles. And they even have topical preparations that you can use to treat localized pain right where it is. So I think that if you are deciding to go down this road and looking at cannabis products, it would do you a good justice just to take some time to do your research. Do your research on, you know, what type of product do you want to use? Do you want a marijuana product? Do you want a hemp product? Do you want a CBD, THC type product? You need to, you you are the advocates of your own health in this situation. And you are in the driver's seat and you decide where you want your car to go. And once you've decided that you want your car to go somewhere, then you want to take it to a location where you are able to speak with someone who is able to give you knowledgeable information on your decision as well as product choices. And once you've made that decision, you decide on which formulation I think would work best for you. And at that point, it's just like any other medication that we use. We just have to tweak it until we find out what works best for us. And I think that where we're going today with this precision medicine and how there is no cookie cutter solution for every person and every person's need. I think this is definitely a place where you can execute your own authority over your health when it comes down to choosing uh, different types of cannabis products that you would potentially want to use. So yeah, I'd love to add that too. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So um, I really love that you brought up topical. That was the one thing that I I failed to mention, but topical is also really important. That's another way to address breakthrough pain. Um, So as you mentioned, maybe smoking is not the best option or vaping for that matter, especially in this population. But I think that topical could be great, especially if you can like point to exactly where the pain is. Um, And so if you are taking the tincture, you know, daily or however your healthcare provider and you decide is best for you, um, but that would be something that you take more regularly. And then maybe if you, and if breakthrough, you do have that, something like that, then you're able to incorporate a topical. So topical could be a cream, it could be a bomb, it could be a lotion. Um, But then also too, there are transdermal patches, which I think are the next cool thing in the CBD and cannabis space, because there really is great 
transdermal opportunity um, when it comes to the different receptors, like TRPV1, especially when it comes to pain, there's so many TRPV1 receptors in your skin. So I, I think that there is a lot of potential in that space. And I think it's very much up and coming. But I did want to mention that. Um, also with figuring out what products are best, as you probably have noticed, you know, and, and we even touched on it too, there are so many CBD products on the market now. And so it's really important which one you're buying and why you're selecting that brand over another. And I understand, and I really wish this was not the case, but CBD is not the most cost effective thing. Um, and it's not really like, I, I wish it is. And I wish that there were like assistance programs and things so that everyone could have access to it. Um, but right now it's not something that is very affordable. And from what I have noticed, a lot of the high end products um, that are at a higher price point are doing the due diligence of doing the third party testing and and everything. And, and that's something that I think is really important too, is that yes, there's not as much regulation in the cannabis space. Um, but I, I think that will change very soon um, coming from the FDA <laughs> standpoint. Um, but that being said, though, there are companies that are already jumping on the, you know, the importance of doing all that testing, even before it's mandated by the FDA. Um, and so this when they do these rounds of testing, they're looking for, you know, are there any heavy metals present? Are there any pesticides, things that you don't want in it? But then they're also evaluating what's actually in it. And so, for example, if you are looking for a product that you want no THC, like you have a job where you might get randomly drug tested, you don't want to take the chance, not even the 0.3%, then that's really important to look at what products you're buying because the the they might say broad spectrum, which as we just talked about, broad spectrum means technically no THC, but we should be able to know whether or not through testing, whether THC is actually present. And so a good way of doing that is really great brands will, if you go to their website and you look up the product in particular, should be very easy to find what's called a certificate of analysis. And so it's just a fancy term for the entire lab, you know, the lab procedure that was done, um, the third party testing that was done, and it should break down every single what are called analytes. So it's just all the different components of what are in that formulation. And it's really important that, um, and also, so not, not, not only this, but it's also really important that the brand does this with every batch. It's not something that they just do once and then walk away. Um, and so they should have updated CO, COA is what it's called for short testing that should be very easy, easily accessible on their website. If they do not have it easily, just like clickable on the website, um, what I've done before just as like kind of like market research, just, just to, you know, intriguing, just like I, I want to see what other brands are doing. Um, so you should be able to just email them and be like, hey, I don't see your C of A. I'm really interested in buying your product. Could you send it to me? And they should be able to send it to you. It's public information. It's public knowledge. So if they come back and say, you know, we're not allowed to share that, then definitely don't buy from them because that's not true. And that probably means they didn't do the right testing or any testing. Um, so that's really important. But brands should be very transparent with the amount of testing they do. Um, some 
brands do multiple rounds of testing, which I have my own brand with some incredible co-founders. And that's something that's really important to us is doing three rounds of testing with different third-party labs to ensure that what we are putting on the label is actually in the product. Um, and so I think just knowing who you're buying from is really important because what I have seen being a part of this industry for many a years, um, that there are a lot of people once the 2018 farm bill happened. And so again, that's when CBD products just started popping up everywhere because it became legal to have hemp derived CBD products. Um, there are so many people that join the market for, in my opinion, the wrong reasons. Um, of course, we all want to make money at the end of the day. Sure. Okay. But a lot of people are joining the market, just seeing an opportunity, but not really doing the due diligence of putting out good products. So um, that is to say, yes, just very important that you find out the information you need before making purchases. That's all. I'd like that you gave our audience that extra layer of checking for credibility and looking for that certificate of analysis. So everybody make sure that wherever you go to purchase your products, that one you're purchasing from a reputable company and that you have access to that certificate of analysis. I do want to go back to a, a, a subject that you just alluded to. Mm -hmm. And I want everybody to be very clear on this. Just because you don't consume marijuana by means of smoking it, meaning that you may choose some other route to go when we talk about cannabis products. If you eat edibles, if you do tinctures and oils in, in the form of drops, any consumption that you do of a product that contains even the minimal amount of THC, it will show up on a drug test. So please be forewarned if your employer has a zero tolerance when it comes to consuming um, drugs, marijuana, THC, just be forewarned that these things, even if you use it in a, a balm or you put it on as an ointment, your skin is the biggest organ of your body. So your skin, show up. Mm -hmm. right, it can possibly show up. So just be forewarned, again, as you are making these decisions on whether or not cannabis products are good for you, just know that just because you didn't smoke it and you use it in some other form, and if it contains THC, it could potentially show up on a drug screen. So now that pushes us into the realm of legal versus not legal. Is it federally okay? Is it state okay? Where are we? Because it seems like every time we talk about this conversation, it depends on where you are in the United States, whether or not it's legal. So can you help us understand which of these formulations will we not go to jail for? And if we do have a formulation that is restricted, what do we need to do to be safe and, and legal? Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the day, as, as we probably know, state laws are the most important and they supersede federal laws. And so this is important because, as I mentioned with the 2018 Farm Bill, that technically made it so that any product that's hemp derived, so has CBD, other minor cannabinoids, other components in the plant, up to that 0.3% of THC, technically that's federally legal. So federally legal in all states. However, there are two states still, um, I believe there are two, this changes like daily, I swear, but um, definitely look and find out if 
if your states are one of these two states. Um, it was Idaho and Iowa for a while. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but they actually mandated that even CBD products were illegal. So their mm. state law superseded the federal law. So it's really important that even if we know what's federally going on, that the state level is really what's most important. Um, and that could be, I mean, you could live in Mississippi, but if you're in Minnesota where CBD product products are totally fine to consume, like that could be a gray area where since your residence is Mississippi, but you're consuming in Minnesota, it, it's very complicated. So it's just important to know what is allowed in your state. And just be on top of that because that is changing daily. Um, I will say it's changing daily for, you know, being more accepting of the use of cannabis, um, in particular for medical use. And so I love seeing that because if they're more, if they, as in, the, if the states are more open to that, that means that in turn, they're going to be more open to educating their healthcare professionals about it. And so that also means that patients will get the right information that they're looking for. And I feel like one of the biggest issues to me um, in the cannabis space right now is just the sea of misinformation because everyone seems to be an expert because they, you know, read a book or something like that, which is fine because like, I want people to be sharing the right messages, but some people are just going a little overboard and using really absolute terminology saying, if you take this, it will cure X, Y, Z thing. And and like, we know that there is research, especially with sickle cell disease. I was so pleasantly surprised with how many amazing studies there are in humans. So a lot of the cannabis studies are, have not been done in humans, but with sickle cell, I think it's, it's becoming more and more accepted to be utilizing it for pain management across um, different diseases. And so I think sickle cell disease in particular too, I was just very pleasantly surprised to see how much support there is in the medical community and the research community, but that's just like a side note. Um, so anyways, back to state and federal, though, it is changing every day, changing towards the better, in my opinion, for medical use. Um, but yeah, only time will tell. <laughs> so for those of you who may live in a, in a location where your state may still have more restriction regarding THC containing products, and the exception is you have to have a medical marijuana card please make sure that you follow whatever regulations are put in place for consuming these products and consuming these products safely. And just be forewarned that once you cross over, you know, state lines, the rules and regulations may very well change. And what was true and legal in your hometown may not be true and legal where you are going. So please just make sure that you prepare yourselves and that you have your proper documentation in hand uh, whenever you choose to consume these products that may, you know, have further regulations on them as you are changing. So Dr. Varanasi, I really want to say thank you for your time and expertise today. I think that our, our uh, population has definitely learned a lot in terms of what cannabis products can do for the sickle cell community. And, you know, I want people to be able to use these products, to use them safely, to use them effectively and to use them legally. So thank you for your time. And if you have anything else, how can people reach out to you? Because I know that you're a guest for our consortium 
interview today, but if somebody wanted to email you, how would they be able to get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way would be to just go to my website. Um, so drswathy.com. So D-O-C-T-O-R swathy.com. You can send me a message through that. Um, I tend to be good with checking those or emails. So um, that's a really good way of contacting me. But yeah, please do not hesitate to reach out because I love answering questions like this. I, I get a lot of questions by email or via message. So I'm used to it. So it's not like you know, it's, it's something that I'm not going to do. So definitely just keep me updated. Let me know how I can help. All right. So with that, we will conclude our conversation. And like I said, everybody, whatever you choose to do, do it safely um, and make sure that you speak with um, someone who's knowledgeable about the products that you are choosing to um, to look at. And if you're part of the Sickle Cell Consortium, please feel free to reach out to me, Dr. Scott via our um, contacting methods and I'll be sure to to respond back to you or even get you connected with Dr. Varanasi if we need uh, further explanation. So with that, we will wrap up and we will see you guys next time on the next episode of the Vitamin SC3 podcast. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. We hope that you will leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, a new episode is coming out next Monday. So please tune in and enjoy.